Okay, let's just have a word of prayer before I come on to my talk. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the Bible. Pray that you help me to speak and that you guide by your Holy Spirit into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is the This Month in Prophecy talk. It's November the 27th, I think, or something like that. End of November, anyway. And we're looking at the subject of, I put here, conspiracy, chaos, and confusion. You could also put control. And I was thinking how, basically, when you look at the world today, there is a conspiracy going on. Is it a conspiracy, or is it just accidental, or is people really pulling the strings together? There's a great deal of chaos leading to confusion, and ultimately leading to some kind of control which will uh, control people's lives. And I saw this operating in the area of the church, the area of the state, and the area of Israel. And we're going to start off actually the other way around, looking at Israel. And we're going to actually start looking at a passage in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 8. Look through the concordance and didn't find many work con- uh, references to conspiracy, but there is one in Isaiah chapter 8. And as I looked at this, it's quite an interesting passage, and it's kind of relevant to some of the things we're going to look at tonight. So we'll do a very brief Bible study, then we'll get into some of the heavy stuff about what's going on. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. He shall be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon the Lord, who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells in Mount Zion. When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they shall look be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish. They will be given, driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when he first, at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Then verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Okay, do not say a conspiracy. 
that verse actually isn't up there. Never mind. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, do not say a conspiracy. Uh, the Hebrew word for conspiracy there is actually kesher. Kesher means to bind together. And the call of the prophet here is not to be bound together, involved in a conspiracy with people who are not of God. And also not to be afraid of those who are threatening them, but to trust in the Lord. In the context of Isaiah chapter 8 and chapter 7 and 8, God is talking about a conspiracy of an ungodly alliance which is being made to supposedly protect Israel in a weak position from someone who is stronger and more powerful who is threatening them. Perhaps you can see a few references there to Israel's present situation. Um, Come on to this map, you can see the actual situation. This was what was happening in the days of Isaiah and King Ahaz, who was the king of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Ahaz was a legitimate king of the line of David, but he was a bad king. He was an idolater. He put his sons through the fire. He worshipped idols. He did everything which he shouldn't do. And basically, he was an unbeliever. He found himself threatened by an alliance of the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria from Damascus. Remember that the State Israel is divided after the time of Solomon into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And by the time you get to Ahaz, Israel is actually aspiring together with Damascus, with Syria, to come against Judah. Their aim is actually to replace Ahaz, according to uh, chapter 7, with a son of their, a king of their own choice who's called the son of Tabal. Uh, and this is going against God's will, because although Ahaz is a bad king, he's actually a legitimate king. So they're going to put an illegitimate king in his place. In fact, Tabel, uh, one commentator says it has a connection to the Hebrew word for worthlessness. So they're trying to break God's plan and put a wrong king in his place. And in chapter 7, we have the famous passage where Isaiah comes to speak to Ahaz and tells him to trust in God... Uh, not to be afraid of the kings who are threatening him, but to trust in God. And he gives him the famous prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14, uh, which speaks of the virgin being with child and bringing forth a son who should be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So basically the message which Isaiah is trying to get to him is not to trust in these other gods, but to trust in the Lord. should have said also that while Ahaz was make, hearing this, he was making some kind of alliance with the Assyrians, who are way up here. The Assyrians are not the same as the Assyrians. They're now in modern Iraq. Uh, uh, and they were the rising empire. And Ahaz was reckoning that, well, if he makes an alliance with Assyria, he's going to be protected from these two guys who are coming against him. Sounds logical. Good idea. Well, no, actually, because Assyria is going to turn out to be a much greater threat even than these two kings. So Isaiah comes to him and says, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in uh, all these other things which you're trying to do because God has a plan and God is going to do something to save you. And he's also going to bring about salvation not just for you but for Israel. And he tells him the famous Isaiah prophecy, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you should call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Christians interpret that as being a prophecy about the virgin birth of Jesus. Jewish commentators just say it's not. Um, I haven't time to go into it, but there are good reasons actually to say that it is a prophecy about the birth of Jesus. The important thing he's saying here is that this is about Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So if God's with us, then you don't have to trust in Assyria. You have to trust in God. That's what he's trying to say to him. And these two kings you're afraid of here are going to fade out of the picture. Read the historical thing. That's actually what happens. The two kings who are coming against them, uh, Pekah of the kingdom of Israel and Rezin from Syria, uh, come together. Then they fall out and they end up being defeated by Assyria, which comes against them and removes the threat to, a to Ahaz from the north. So he's led off, isn't he? Well, yes and no, because now he's got a threat from Assyria because the guys he's making the alliance with actually come against him and eventually do invade Judah and they camp around Jerusalem and they're about to take Jerusalem, not in the days of Ahaz because by this time he's died, in the days of his son Hezekiah. Uh, fortunately, Hezekiah is not like Ahaz. Ahaz was a bad king who didn't believe in God. Hezekiah was a very good king who turned to the Lord. And under the influence of Isaiah, when he saw this invasion coming against him from Assyria, uh, he didn't try to sort of make a deal to get out of it. He prayed to God. And God sent his angel who delivered him. And if you read in, uh, where is it, in chapter 37 of Isaiah, verse 36, the Assyrians come down and besiege Jerusalem with the idea of deposing Hezekiah and taking them captive as they've already done to the northern kingdom. And you read in verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed the camp of the Assyrians, 185,000, and when people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. In other words, God saved Judah supernaturally by his strength. And the lesson there is don't make an alliance with these foreign gods and these foreign kings because they're going to let you down. Trust in the Lord. And Going on in this passage in Isaiah, you see that there's a separation between those who trust in God and those who don't. Uh, go back to chapter 8, I can find it, verse 13. Uh, it speaks about the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow, let him be your fear, let him be your dread, he shall be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So there's two possibilities. Either the Lord is the one who looks after you or he's the one who makes you stone of stumbling. You've got to make a choice. And Isaiah and his disciples, his uh, family, his friends, they are like, he says, signs and wonders among the people. So he says, here am I, verse 18, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And he doesn't mean we're for signs and wonders in the sense of doing miracles. He says we ourselves are signs because we are the people who've trusted in God. And we're going to show you that if you trust in God because God is with you, you're going to be delivered from your enemy. So you've got a choice. The opposite choice is made in verse 19 where it says, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards and whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? should they seek the dead on behalf of the living. So instead of seeking God, people are looking for mediums, for wizards who whisper and mutter. Do you see any of that happening in the world today? Yeah, people are looking to the wrong source, the supernatural, but the occult supernatural. And as they do this, they're being led into darkness. And as they're led into darkness, so they're finding themselves oppressed by these evil spirits which ends up with trouble, darkness, and gloom, and anguish. And they'd be driven into darkness. 
So there's a kind of chaos spirit which takes over. So you have the conspiracy, they're looking for the alliance, the wrong alliance, they make the wrong alliance, and then uh, as a result of this, they're not trusting in God, they trust in the wrong source, the wrong supernatural source, they end up in chaos and confusion, which is pretty much what you can see happening in the world today, also in the land of Israel, one has to say. You look to Israel, what are they doing? They're trusting in God or they're trusting in all kinds of other things. And you've got a huge rise in Israel of New Age, occult, uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, people looking to other gods. I said before at this tragic event when they were mown down, the kids were mown down at, this, at the, the, uh, the concert. They were mown down under an image of Buddha, listening to psytrance music, which is kind of psychedelic, mind-altering music. So you had this wrong spirit. And God's saying, don't turn to these things, turn to God. And don't trust in other alliances. So you can make another alliance because you're threatened by someone from above, someone more powerful than you. Trust in the Lord. And he says, those who do make this wrong trust, they're going to find themselves in a snare, uh, and a snare and a trap. Uh, if you look to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, Jesus says the same thing in the last days. He says, people are going to take heed to themselves, lest your heart be weighed down by carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. It will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So again, people today are making the wrong choice. They're putting the trust in the wrong things, and it becomes a snare to them, a trap, which will take them away from the truth, away from God, and away from the hope. So the hope is that you find the Lord. We go on back here. We had... This is a prophecy which speaks actually about who? So the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light upon the, those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them a light has shined. Go to uh, the Gospels and you'll find that this verse is prophesied, is quoted in concern, concerning Yeshua as he walks in the land of Zebulun and uh, Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles. In the northern part, Jesus comes and he is the great light, comes to be the light to Israel. And in all of these things which are taking place today, God is saying to Israel, look to me, look to me, and ultimately to find Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, the one who is the son who's given, but who is also the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. How can he be the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, and also be a son? Well, that's what Jesus is. He's the son of God who's given to us. He's the mighty father. He's the counselor. He's the one who gives us counsel sound counsel and wisdom and who leads us to believe in the one true God and ultimately he's going to order the he's going to sit upon the throne of David to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever uh, ultimately the hope of the believer is that there's going to come a time when the Mashiach, Messiah will come not for the first time but for the second time to sit upon the throne of David and to order it and give it peace and the present Crisis and confusion, which you see in the Middle East, is actually just one thing which is preparing the way for that great event which is going to come. Now, actually, I think this is quite a good message for Israel today. Uh, we talked about a conspiracy. Is there a conspiracy? A uh, uh, couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I did a talk on Psalm 83. Psalm 83, which says, Behold, your enemies make a tumult. Those who hate you have lifted up their head they have taken crafty counsel against your people. They've consulted together against your sheltered ones. They've said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. 
group of nations have come together with a confederacy, in other words, some kind of a conspiracy, an alliance, with the aim of cutting off Israel from being a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. Uh, precisely what is the aim of Hamas and other groups who want to destroy Israel today, it's that Israel's name may be cut off and they may be remembered no more. And people shout through the streets of London saying, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. What do they mean? They mean that Israel will be replaced by Palestine and Israel will be no more. And you've got a whole group of people coming together with this agenda. Uh, some of them with a direct agenda by, uh, by violence, by force, by terrorism, as Hamas do, to remove Israel from the state face of the earth. Others with a more indirect agenda, which is to set up a Palestinian state alongside Israel, and then to use that as a means to dismantle Israel uh, as a second stage of the agenda. Any of those things happening around us today? I think so. If you look at the current situation, you have to say that uh, we have Mr. Netanyahu in control, apparently, but not quite in control. We have Mr. Biden telling him what to do, really. And one of the things, going back to the map I showed you earlier, there's little Judah making an alliance with a brig of power, Assyria, hoping they're going to help them. America uh, has come to help Israel, and Israel needs America. And in one sense, I don't blame Amer Israel for making an alliance with America, because they need uh, that great power to stand with them. And in one sense, it's good that America has... Uh, condemned what Hamas did and has sent his warships into the area to deter Hezbollah from making any more attacks. And Israel has a, apparently a friend in America. But, but there is a bit of a but, isn't there? And uh, right now, Mr. Biden is saying that Israel has to have a ceasefire. And he's also talking about a two-state solution as the answer to it. And in one sense, Israel trusts in America, and is America going to be a friend right the way through, or is America going to betray Israel? We'll see. Uh, present situation which has happened is that uh, Israel, having gone into Gaza with the aim to eradicate Hamas and to secure the release of the hostages, two, two aims. Uh, I would say two legitimate aims. Uh, is it possible that those two aims might be combined or are they actually going to be, end up to being contradictory? Will they secure the release of the hostages but in the process fail to eradicate Hamas? And that's pretty much what it looks like at the present time, the present agenda. Um, the agreement was made which uh, sealed by, brokered by Qatar, Egypt and the United States for the release of hostages that were seized by Hamas on October the 7th in return for a pause in the fighting in Gaza. Our agreement, first initial part, will release, result in the release of about 50 Israeli hostages consisting of men, women, and children in exchange for a four-day truce in Israel's air and ground campaign. A potential for the extension with 10 hostages released each day. Think about that. It could go on and on, in which time Israel has to pause in its hostilities and its attempt to eradicate Hamas. Now, we have to say that at the present time, although it's been terrible to see the suffering of the people uh, in Gaza, that on a military level, Israel's actually done very well in its program to eradicate Hamas. It's made tremendous progress uh, with not too much loss of Israeli life. It managed to dismantle the, the tunnels, and Hamas is really on the run at this present time. 
But is this hostage deal good news or bad news? Is it going to help? Uh, obviously, it's good news for the people who are going to be reunited with their families, and you can understand that Israel is under tremendous pressure to accept this deal, um, pressure from both the families and also from the United States and the Western world to have a temporary ceasefire in the war with Hamas. We've seen in the last few months, a global, last few weeks, sorry, a global outcry over what's happened in Gaza with massive demonstrations. You went on a pro-Israel demonstration, but you know, don't need to tell you there have been anti-Israel demonstrations in London and around the world. You've seen people being really anti-Israel because of what's taken place in Gaza. And a lot of pressure coming now from the Western world, particularly from the United States. Uh, the Biden administration is facing some difficulty at the present time from its Democrat base over its support for Israel. Uh, because a lot of them have come to the opposite conclusion. And you've also got a global outcry calling for a ceasefire and a settlement because of the destruction in Gaza and the humanitarian crisis for the Palestinians. So is it a good deal? Actually, a lot of commentators I've read have said it's a very bad deal for Israel's security. Strengthens Hamas that's committed unspeakable atrocities, and makes it easier for them to survive. Now, the position of the US is actually quite crucial in what's going to take place in the next few weeks. If the US continues to back Israel's campaign to eliminate Hamas, control of the Gaza Strip, and wipe out all of its military capabilities, then the hostage negotiations uh, and the ceasefire will be no more than a brief pause that won't impact the outcome of the war, or may not. But if Washington pressures Israel not to resume the fighting and to make subsequent deals for more halts to Israel's uh, operations, then it would be a turning point in the war. This will mean actually that Hamas will be allowed to get away with mass murder. It will also emerge, however battered and blooded, as the victor of the war in this, this genocidal movement began on October the 7th. Uh, Danny Danon, who's a member of Likud, Arrival to Netanyahu and the leadership said the deal endangers our soldiers in Gaza, allowing Hamas to resupply, taking pictures of our forces and plan future attacks. Not only will he have tens of thousands of soldiers in hostile territory, not allowed to move or fire, they'll be vulnerable to ambush. The influx of fuel and other aid will be raided and used by Hamas to replenish it fighters and power its tunnel network. <coughs> also sets up a dynamic by which the terrorist group can seek to prolong the ceasefire by bartering more hostages in order to continue such a process over the next few weeks. In this manner, manner Hamas can install Israel's offensive in Gaza for not just a few days, but perhaps indefinitely. If the hostage negotiations provide Hamas with a path to survival, then it will be more than a blow to the already shaking morale of Israelis. It will not only mean more October the 7th-style mass slaughters, and more kidnappings of innocent victims. More than that, Hamas and its Iranian funders won't be satisfied with targeting Israel. Their ultimate goal is to do the same in Europe and the United States. If the Americans don't push for Biden to continue supporting a just war on Hamas, then we're dooming Israel, as well as Americans, to a future of endless Islamist terrorism. I don't know if you followed that, but some people might say that's warmongering, but some people might say, yes, it's actually common sense that Israel has to continue. However unfortunate, however much pain and suffering there is, 
in order to eradicate Hamas. Will they be able to do that? We don't know. But it's certainly made more difficult by the present situation. Now, we've seen protests in, against Israel, calls for a ceasefire, major demonstrations in London, Europe, Middle East, Asia, United States. And it's becoming a ex uh, conduit for extreme Jew hatred and desire for the elimination of Israel. These are not peaceful protesters in support of a peaceful Palestinian state. Most of it is becoming extremely ugly and hostile to not just Israel, but also to Jewish community here in London and in also in parts of Europe. Same time, we've got global leaders calling for a, and pleading for a ceasefire and looking for a comprehensive solution to the Middle East crisis. Uh, for many people, the subtext of this is actually still the elimination of Israel. Uh, the peace process would not be a peace process. It would be more uh, territory being ceded to the Palestinians and the Arabs who would then use it as a base from which to attack Israel with the aim of eliminating the state of Israel. Israel doesn't want to be eliminated and it's going to do what it can to resist this process, but it's going to be under increasing pressure, pressure from Western powers in particular, from the UK, from the EU, and above all from the United States. I mean, I just watched Biden on the television and he was saying that this must lead to a two-state solution. Uh, so he's saying that's right out that this has to be the first step towards the two-state solution. Uh, interestingly, the Egyptian president, al-Sisi, said last week in Cairo, a future Palestinian state could be demilitarized and have a temporary international security presence to provide guarantees to both it and to Israel. We said that we are ready for this state to be demilitarized. There can be no guarantees of forces, whether NATO forces. There can also be guarantees of forces, whether NATO forces, United Nations forces, or Arab or American forces, until we achieve security for both states, the Palestinian state and the Israeli state. So they're planning now to have a kind of occupation force, if you like, to go in and to secure the peace and to keep Israel separate from the Palestinians, but also to set up the Palestinian state. Good idea, peace, and everyone will be looking for it. Everybody wants to have a peaceful solution. They don't want to see all these wars going on and uh, people suffering. And as obviously as Christians and Jewish people, we don't want to see wars and suffering either. But the problem is, is it peace, peace, where there is no peace? And is the ultimate aim of the peace actually the war and the destruction of Israel? That's the big issue which is facing us. Now, it's quite possible that something along the lines of the Saudi peace deal, which was mediated by the Americans, which you mentioned before in the Light for Last Days magazine, may be on the way. It may not, if, if it goes really badly, but uh, it may. Uh, Mark Hitchock, who writes on this subject from as a Christian believing in prophecy, he says, the temporary peace call is just another peace agreement and a long line of truces and treaties paving the way for the peace that the Antichrist will bring when he comes onto the world scene. Uh, quotes Daniel chapter 9 about the strong covenant which Israel makes with many, which is broken halfway through and leads to the consummation, which is the end, which is the second coming of Jesus. It says, this act will catapult the Antichrist onto the global scene in a peace agreement that he will broker with Israel, will even include the te te Temple Mount area. 
He's going to be hailed by the world. You can see that today anyone who could solve this mess in the Middle East would be hailed as a world savior. The world stage is set for this arrival, especially with his, this condition in Israel and the global outrage which we have seen. Uh, so do you think that is a possibility that we could move towards it? Maybe not immediately, but it, maybe that's a long-term thing. And if they push for a peace process and Israel withdraws without uh, eradicating Iras, which is quite possible, then you can believe that that's going to be the next thing on the agenda. Mark Hitchcock, actually, who's a pre-trip relation rapture person, he says that this means that the rapture is on its way soon. I'll leave that one with you to think about. But it's interesting that it's happening now. And you look at what's happening, you can see that although it's terrible and horrible, there are certain things which are pushing the world in the direction of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. A um, couple of other snippets which I got from the news which may or may not be relevant, but you can think about that. Uh, this was from uh, World Israel News. The Hamas plan shared by other radical Islamic groups to drive the Jews out of Israel is having the, an unintended effect as rising anti-Semitism around the globe after the Hamas massacre of Israelis on October the 7th is reportedly catalyzing Jews to consider moving to Israel. The chairman of the Jewish Agency for Israel, Major General Daron Almog, posited that because of rising anti-Semitism, one million new immigrants will emigrate to Israel over the next few years. Alia and Integration Minister Ophir Sofer said the number of Jews considering moving to Israel increased by 81% in North America, 149% in France as of late October, World International News reported. Tens of thousands of Israelis who've been living abroad returned to Israel to join reserve army units to assist the war effort. Uh, now, you can take that or leave it. I'm not sure whether that is the case. Some Jewish people might think, well, Israel looks more dangerous than gold is green to go to. But you have to, that's, that's what the, world, in, the uh, world Israel News is reporting. Interesting possibility because the Bible, it says that he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock one of the signs of the last days, the regathering of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, which is why this is not just any old conflict. This is the conflict which is leading up to the second coming of Jesus. Another interesting little uh, piece of news I picked up. The iron beam. I have mentioned this before, but it's been back in the news. Uh, quote from uh, this article I got off the internet here. Israel reportedly accelerating deployment of the game-changing laser aerial defense system. Over the past 15 years, Israel has developed a sophisticated multi-layer defense system which has been put to active duty as it faced aerial threats from terror groups such as Hamas, Hezbollah, various pro-Iranian militias in Syria, and the Houthis in, in Yemen. So they've used the Iron Dome, which has shot down missiles. You've probably read about that. Among the recent developments, the Iron Beam system, developed from Raphael Advanced Defense Systems, has stood out as a major innovation with a high-powered laser to intercept rockets, anti-tank missiles, drones, and missile mortar shells. So there you are. You've got this thing which shoots out a missile, a laser, and it can be targeted on anything that's coming in and eliminate it. Recent tests of the iron beam in the Negev have shown promising results with the system successfully intercepting various airborne threats. The heart of the system is an electric laser pointer capable of targeting and sending out a powerful laser, 
laser beam invisible to the naked eye. In an interview with the Catalyst newspaper, one of Raphael, Raphael's Iron, Dome, Iron Beam program managers expressed high ambitions for this new defense system, saying our aim is to reach a state where the enemy feels totally powerless. He has to understand that our laser pointers deployed where needed intercept and destroy all his attacks almost instantly after their launch, long before they reach Israeli territory or threaten anyone else. In such a scenario, the activation of warning sirens might even become unnecessary. You see what he's saying there? Saying that all these missiles which they've got in Lebanon and Hamas and all these people in Houthis and whatever, Yemen and the Iranians, this is going to be able to take them out. They've got it here. There's a missile going up, kind of covering over there. All the missiles coming in, boom, shoop, out, gone. Uh, well, whether it's going to work, they haven't actually deployed it yet, but they're working on it, and the Israelis are pretty clever people. <coughs> it's scheduled to be introduced in 2025, though the deployment is currently being accelerated for service as early as 2024. Now, if they've got that really ap 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 up and running, it means that Israel can have a defense against all the missiles which Hezbollah's got, they become just a lot of useless tin and uh, can be a very cheap. Also, it's much cheaper than the Iron Dome system, which costs about $50,000 for every rocket fired. They can use, once this is installed, it can eliminate the missiles. Uh, now, I don't know if it's totally been, I don't think it's been totally proved yet that it can work, but if it does, then it would be a very interesting development. But also give Israel a kind of security um, which is interesting because if you read in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39, there is a passage where an army comes down from the north against Israel, what's called the uh, uh, Gog and Magog War. One of the reasons why people have said this can't possibly happen is because it's said that at that time Israel will be living peaceably. Now, that's how it's translated in the AV. Uh, but I looked it up in Hebrew. The word is not shalom. It's another word, betach. Betach actually means with security. So if Israel has some kind of a security system, i.e. this, uh, then it has a defense against an aerial invasion coming from its enemies round about. Uh, interestingly, if you look in Ezekiel 39, verse 3, it says, Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. Obviously, Ezekiel didn't know too much about missiles and anti-missile systems, so God put in his mind bows and arrows, which is a kind of metaphor, if you like, for some of this stuff. Is that what it's about? Well, interesting. Uh, if Israel has such a system working, there's also a guarantee of, and also a guarantee of a demilitarized Palestine, which is policed by an international force, it could accept a temporary peace agreement. Uh, that's a possibility. So watch this space. Unfortunately, if it does, the Bible indicates this is another deception. It will turn out to be a covenant with death, a conspiracy which will bring to power the Antichrist or the Assyrian who is prophesied in a number of passages in the Bible. One interesting one which I found, which I'd never really seen before, is in Micah chapter 5. I may give a bit more of a talk on this, uh, especially as we move up to that season of the year. Uh, we have the famous prophecy of Micah, which speaks about uh, the birth, the one who's born in Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, 
Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from everlasting, from of old, from everlasting. A uh, prophecy of someone who's going to be born in Bethlehem, going to be a ruler in Israel, and whose origins, his going forth, are from me'olam in Hebrew, from everlasting. So how can he be born and yet have his origins from everlasting? Anybody here been born and yet have your origins from everlasting? No, you had your origins when your father and mother came together and conceived you. Uh, that's when you began. This is talking about someone who began in the days of eternity. So the only one who can began in the days of eternity is God. So you have here a prophecy which speaks about the birth of the Messiah, who is also going to be a divine person, be born as the Son of God. <coughs> Fulfilled in Yeshua, as we read in Matthew chapter 1. It goes on to say, Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his people shall return to the children of Israel. Suggesting there's going to be some break between the relationship with this one and the children of Israel, and they're going to be scattered to the ends of the earth, then he's going to return them to the land of Israel. Then it says, He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. In other words, that this one is speaking about here, who is Yeshua. At his second coming, he's going to stand in the land of Israel and bring peace to Israel. See that? When the Assyrian comes into the land, when he treads our, place, our palaces, then we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall, then they shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. He shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and he shall tread within our borders. Okay, the Assyrian is used here as a type of the Antichrist. So he's saying when the Antichrist comes into our land and defiles it, then God's going to raise up this one who is our peace, who has already been before in the person of Yeshua, be born in Bethlehem at his second coming, and he's going to bring our peace and deliver us from the Assyrian, from the Antichrist. What Jesus is going to do is his second coming. So it's an interesting scripture. It speaks about the first and second coming of Yeshua, the Messiah, and it tells us what we saw already in the passage from Isaiah, that the answer to Israel's problems in the end is not going to be in its technology, in its alliances with America, or with anybody else, it's with the Lord. And the situation which Israel is facing ultimately is going to need someone who's much stronger than they are, God, to come and bring them peace through the return of the Messiah, as you read in Zechariah chapter 14 and other passages of the Bible which is the reason why when you see all these bad things happening, then don't despair, but look up because your redemption's drawing nigh and Jesus is coming. And although we see all these terrible things happening in Israel and Israel's insecurity, in the end, Israel's going to be delivered. And there are going to be various conspiracies, various attempts to wipe them out from nations round about them, alliances made which are contrary to God's will. And in the end, God is going to have the last word and save Israel and save the world from destruction. So praise the Lord, that's a little bit about Israel. I hope it makes a bit of sense. We'll move on and look at one or two other things. When you talk about the conspiracy, then certainly people see a conspiracy in some of the things happening in world events. Conspiracy theories abound about groups of people like the World Economic Forum and others coming together to use the various crises which are coming upon the world to bring in a movement towards a global government. 
Well, we've already seen the COVID crisis. We've seen the present time looking at the, the uh, climate crisis and saying that people saying that the answer to all these things is that nations come together into some kind of a world government. Now, opponents say that this is just a right-wing conspiracy theory. Uh, and maybe some parts of it are actually right-wing conspiracy theories. There are some pretty crazy conspiracy theories out there, by the way. Some of them are also very anti-Semitic. I've been really disturbed that some of the kind of stuff I've seen on the internet actually revives some of the kind of protocols of the Elders of Zion scenario, that there's a, a sinister Zionist plot backed by the Rothschilds to bring about this one world government and to enslave us all in a Jewish slave state. Uh, that is nonsense, but there are people out there who believe it because that's what they want to believe. But I think there is a kind of... A, conspiracy, and there is a group of people who want to take us over. And there are people who say it's not just a conspiracy theory, it's, they say it quite openly. Uh, Klaus Schwab and others have said quite openly they're using the, the uh, COVID crisis to bring about a world, a uh, global reset, and so on. I wrote this little booklet called World Government on the Horizon. I'll read a few things from it. In February 2023, the World Government Summit took place in Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, where some very high-up international leaders spoke about the need for a world government. These included Klaus Schwab, who is the founder of the, and the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. I watched part of his speech there, and one of the interesting things he said was, there will certainly be what we call a black swan event. What did he mean by that? A black swan event is something unexpected that happens and changes everything, and as a consequence of which you've got to change the way you live. So something big is happening to tip the world into a new world order. That's what he's suggesting. What is it? Is it war? Is it economic collapse? Another pandemic perhaps? He also says there are some people who claim that we are now in a de-globalizing world, but actually I would say we have to re-globalize the world. We have to make sure that we strengthen cooperation because as it was mentioned, we are faced with issues that, that are of existential importance for humankind. Our common future is at stake. So what they're saying is that the world is facing such a big crisis that if we don't get everyone together and work out this new world order, this great reset, we're going to destroy the world. Now, there's a lot of people, especially targeting young people, saying that's the situation, especially with the climate crisis, that we're going to destroy the earth, so we've got to make these huge changes to the world. Personally, I think a lot of it is manufactured. I think it is not genuine, but I'm not going to get into why that is, but just saying that it is the situation. Uh, Schwab went on to say, we live in a world of multi, mighty, mighty, multi crises. We're in the midst of a deep systemic transformation process Many people in a crisis want to go back to the original situation. In the transformation process, you have to manage the change to come to, out at the end of the situation in a better shape, a different one than you were at the beginning. What does he mean by that? He's saying that the world is in a serious crisis state. Basically, people in this world government program and in the World Economic Forum and other groups, particularly the UN, are the people who are going to fix it for the rest of us. In other words, they know how to fix the problem you don't, nor does your government, actually. So you need to have somebody else to fix it for you. And we, the common people, have to got to understand that fixing it doesn't mean going back to where we were before we began it. We've got to move on to something new. We've got to have a great reset. 
got to be a reset by which we refix the world in a new way, which would bring about a better situation than we were in before. There are two major things which have to happen in order to get us into this world, new world order. First of all, everyone has to have a digital ID. In other words, everyone has to be on the digital ID system, which will contain each person's information, government ID numbers, social security numbers, bank account numbers, etc. Secondly, there needs to be complete control over all information outlets, whether it's evening news on television, written word on the internet, including all websites. Got to be control over this sector so that the wrong information doesn't get out and the right information does get out. Um, from their point of view, probably most of what I'm telling you is the wrong information, so it's got to be suppressed. And you'll see that there's more and more attempts to stop people saying these kind of things because they don't want them to be said. And there are processes by which they want to bring us all onto some kind of global ID. Do you believe that or not? Do you think that's a conspiracy? I think it's happening. And it's interesting that when these big things like the Gaza war come up, they manage to slip a few things in under the radar nobody notices. Uh, one of them happened just recently um, with the EU. Uh, just last month, the EU made progress towards a digital identity and total control. European Parliament and the Council of European Union has reached a final agreement on the establishment of what they call European digital wallet, identity wallets. The first central and fully digital identification system for all Europeans. Under the new law, the EU will offer its citizens so-called digital wallets on a voluntary basis at first, which will contain digital versions of their ID cards, driving licenses, diplomas, medical records, and bank account information. Good idea? So you have this nice little card or whatever, uh, and everything's all together. You only have to lose one card or forget the password for one card. You don't have lots of them. Every, all the information is together, and it's nice and easy. And just in case it gets too difficult, they can devise some new ways to put all the information together, perhaps on a microchip which you put under your skin, and then that can have all your information, and you can put that under a reader, and they can work out who you are, where you are, how much money you've got in the bank, what you're spending it on, and all the rest of it. And your medical records, your vaccination records, everything about you will be known. It's a good idea, isn't it? No? <laughs> Why are you all shaking your heads? This is wonderful. This is great. Get, a, get everything together so you'll, you won't have to lose anything. You won't have all the manic situations like we have half the time when we lose our cards or our phones or something else. It'll all be together. And it's pushing towards the Great Reset and the Agenda 30 of the United Nations. And one of the things you notice, they're using all the crises, the pandemic, the climate disasters, etc., to push for a controlled society in order to save the world from catastrophe. And a lot of people kind of rubbish this, and they say it's all made up, it's all a right-wing conspiracy. But if you look behind the scenes, there's so much evidence that it's happening. It's not all going to plan, however. <laughs> One of the ideas they have is to get their appointed leaders into place in the governments and to put them there to bring it to pass. Uh, well, some of them are getting leaving. Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand was a real prime mover in it. She's gone. Trudeau in Canada, he's now prime mover. He's on the way out. In recent months, you've had elections which have brought to power uh, Maloney in Italy, who's right-wing Argentina, Malay, who's right-wing and sounds a bit crazy, but 
may be quite interesting. Um, and in Holland, Gert Wilders, uh, going against the plan. And you've got a lot of people who are sussing out what's going on and moving in the other direction. Uh, possible that France will turn to the far right with Marine Le Pen. And it's quite likely that Trump will win the next US election. If he does, this is all sabotaging the process, which they don't want. I watched a program where Yuval Harari, who's the Israeli guy who's big in this whole thing uh, under Klaus Schwab, he said he was deploring the growing antipathy to what he calls the liberal world order politics. Uh, growing backlash against wokery, against uncontrolled immigration, bringing permanent change to Western countries, against Islamic oppression, imposition on society, against leftist intolerance of any dissenting views while they promote ludicrous ideas of transgender and the whole homosexual agenda. And a lot of people are fed up with it. I guess probably most of you are fed up with it. And there's a growing movement which is resisting it. Unfortunately, the people who are in real power, especially in the government, the media, the education system, police and justice, most of the government are still there and they're still following the same agenda. And you find that those who go against the agenda tend to get pushed out, like Suella Braverman, and those who are for it get brought in, like David Cameron, without getting too political. So they need something to keep it going. And they are facing real... Uh, opposition, I say, to the program. Now, interestingly, there's going to be, we've talked about this World Government Summit in Dubai, about uh, Klaus Schwab saying there's going to be a black swan event, which is going to bring about a change. Something going to happen. Are they planning for something? Uh, there are plenty of things which could happen. Um, all of the economies of the Western world are in trouble, especially the United States. Uh, trillions of dollars in debt, all kinds of issues coming up. China's also in trouble, by the way, economically. Russia's gone right down the tubes. It's spending 40% of its money on the war. Uh, ruble is now worth one cent. Uh, so you've got every country, where you look at the European Union, all facing economic crisis. You could have some kind of economic crisis which would set the whole thing off and bring about this black swan event globally. You've also got uh, the wars which could set up something bigger, and possibly even the next pandemic. There's something happening in China at the moment. I'm not sure where that's going, but uh, they're a bit concerned about it. And these crises come about with an international dollar, and then they say that governments can't sort them out. We need some kind of a world government to sort it out and impose control. <coughs> so this is what's happening, and... It's kind of interesting. What will the black swan event be? Will it be in a nuclear war, economic collapse, UFO invasion? That's another one they're talking about. Um, or even the rapture of the church. Uh, something will happen which will cause them to find themselves in an issue. And as a result of this, They'll say that governments can't sort it out. We have to get it in the hands of technocrats who have the power to do it. The world's direction lies in the hands of a few people who wield power in the digital age. Up to these people to sort it out and the titans of industry to determine 
whether their influence leads to the dismantling of democracy or the empowerment of a global society. And there's lots of things going on behind the scenes. I don't know if this business with this Sam Altman, who I posed before, was a really big player in the AI and everything, being kicked out of his position, now going back to it. I don't know what all that's about, but I wonder if there's something more than meets the eye there. There are very powerful people who are coming together and who are putting in place structures which could lead to a global control system. Uh, if you read the article in the Lightful Last Days about uh, <coughs> the uh, marking the masses, it uh, gives you some insight into that. I won't go into the details, but read the article. Now, from the game, we talked about Israel and the crisis which could lead then to the Antichrist coming along with his peace process. This crisis could also lead to some kind of Antichrist force coming along with his solution. And if you read in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 13, it says that all the world is going to worship this one who comes in as a savior. He's not going to come in like some kind of bestial tyrant. He's going to come in as a man of peace, offering a solution, offering peace and safety. But he's going to come in with a power from the devil, not from, not just his own power. Revelation, it says that they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. They worship the beast who was saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He given authority to continue for 42 months. <clears throat> then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Not a very encouraging scripture, but the Bible says that's how this present age is going to end up. And whether we like it or not, the world is heading in that direction. And I think that there are so many things that I've just said which are preparing the way for this one to arise and to offer his solution. Whether it will be sooner or later is in the hands of God. Interesting, they're looking for some kind of an event to take place before their conference in UN conference in September 2024. So a lot of things seem to be pushing towards 2024, but I'm not going to make any predictions about the date of the second coming, but just bear in mind that these things are speeding up. Okay, then let's just move on, because one of the things which you notice about this, it says he's going to be against the saints, against the Christians. Do you see in the world today a spreading movement which is anti-Christian? Yeah. <clears throat> An article which comes from a body called the Observatory on Intolerance and Discrimination Against Christians in Europe. Its annual report said religiously motivated hate crimes against Christians in Europe jumped by 44% in just one year. Uh, violent incidents, social hostility against Christians, as well as vandalism and arson attacks on churches. Report also underscores legal developments in several European countries that infringe upon religious freedom of Christians, including hate speech legislation, under which some Christians have been prosecuted for voicing mainstream Christian beliefs in public, uh, particularly on family matters. They believe in one man, one woman, in marriage, 
and you speak that publicly, you can have opposition from the state, even be arrested by the police for being uh, anti-homosexual. <clears throat> Increasing trend in hate crimes perpetrated by radicalized members of ideologically political or religious groups that follow an anti-Christian narrative. The report notes that anti-Christian hate crimes have been steadily increasing over the past 10 years. <clears throat> One of the main sources of anti-Christian aggression are radicalized members of extreme political groups with a majority cases coming from far-left political groups, radical feminists or LGBT groups, the report finds. At the same time, documented anti-Christian attacks by radical individuals from far-right groups, Satanist groups and radical Islamist groups. Let's just have a little thought about the Islamist tribe. If you are noticing what was happening with these demonstrations, you'll find that they were not just against Israel, but they're also being used as a means to propagate Islam and to get more and more people onto the Islamic side of things, especially young people. <clears throat> Apparently, uh, in America, they, no, in, on TikTok, they released a, a letter which Bin Laden wrote after the 9-11 attacks called Letter to America, which, uh, amongst other things, blamed the Jews for all the trouble. So he said it was all because of the Jews that they had this trouble and because of Israel. Astonishingly, about a million people downloaded it in one day. 100,000 people applauded it and said it had been an eye-opener to their understanding why America was being attacked and the uh, understanding and being on the side of the terrorists and of the anti-Semites, young Americans. Is that surprising? And yet when you look at what's happening in the universities, especially in America, they're being targeted all the time with hatred for Israel, hatred for the Jews, and also hatred for Christianity, and also propagating forms of Islam. Uh, article I found here, it says, an Italian news group called Fuero da Coro unveils the growing influence of Islam in Italy. The report focuses on Tabligli, Tabligi Jamat, a contentious Muslim missionary group recognized as the world's largest proselytizing group operating globally. The group raises concerns due to its ties to terrorism, promotion of universal imposition of strict Islamic rules, its ambition to replace Western laws and principles with Sharia. The group's ultimate goal, like Islam, is a planned conquest of the West of the world in the spirit of jihad. Video kicks off with chilling declarations foretelling a grim future. There'll be a massacre of millions, setting an alarming tone that permeates the entire investigation. Simultaneously expressing a desire to conquer Rome, echoing a prophecy from Muhammad, the movement to impose the laws of Quran on the entire West. So are these people marginal or crazy, or are they actually active and doing their job? About France, uh, this map, I have to say that that word destroyed is a little bit of an exaggeration. They've been, churches have been attacked or vandalized in France. Those are all places where churches have been attacked or vandalized in France. Some destroyed. <coughs> the journalist Amy Mech tweeted on May the, July the 1st, attacks on churches of the norm in France. Two churches a day are vandalized. They're being burned, demolished, and abandoned. Their adherences are being sacrificed on the altar of political correctness. Priests are under con constant threat 
At what point will France's open border politicians be held responsible? The last question actually identifies who is responsible, namely migrants from the Muslim world, where attacks on churches are not abnormal. In July, Muslims attacked and desecrated several churches in France, breaking the doors and windows of one church, spray painting anti-Jesus, pro-Mahabi graffiti on the walls, uh, shouting Allah Akbar, disturbing church services, savagely beating France Joseph Eide of Notre Dame du Liban Parish, calling him a dirty Christian, while fleeing interviewing pa passengers, they spewed other anti-Christian insults. Just a few of the reports from France. Seems actually the full-blown jihad has been declared on the churches of France and the leadership is looking the other way. Okay, you might be thinking, well, these are Catholic churches and we're not Catholics and it's happening in France and we're in England, so what does it matter? I'd even be thinking that the Catholics in France actually persecuted the Huguenots and not have a very good record, but be that as it may, the reason for this persecution is not whether they're Catholics or Protestants because they're Christians. And the aim is to eradicate Christianity. Reminded of the famous statement by Martin Niemöller, first they came to the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. And basically, whatever we think, the situation in much of Europe, especially in France, with Islamic attacks is extremely serious and threatening to the future of the country. Meanwhile, Muslim influencers are busy on the internet targeting young people with messages encouraging them to reject the New Testament and to believe in Muhammad. They're telling them that the, the Jesus of the Quran is the same as the Jesus in the New Testament and that they should believe in the Quranic one because the, although the, he's the same person, the Christian one, the New Testament one, has actually changed the story and the Quran has got the correct story. If you study this passage, you'll find that the Quranic Jesus does not speak the same words, nor does he engage in the same actions. His primary role involves around refuting Christian beliefs, affirming Muhammad's claim about himself. And while the Jesus of the Quran shares the same name, behind the surface lies a calculated divergence from the picture we have in the New Testament. In the Islamic Jesus, he becomes a mere pawn deployed to refute Christian beliefs and bolster Muhammad's claims. Islam does not reflect, respect the Jesus of the Bible, the Christian faith, or its followers. It's hostile to all three. The Quran specifically denies Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, insists that Jesus was taken straight to heaven without dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, then rising from the dead. Thus, it rips out the very heart of the Christian message, which is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead. Uh, Muslims are taught that Jesus will return in the future, but not as the saviour, but to destroy the cross and to eradicate all religions except Islam. It's not a subtle disagreement. It's a direct assault on the cornerstone of Christianity. Message on Twitter said this, uh, the Islamic takeover of America is going well. Moses was not a Jew. Moses was a Muslim. Jesus was not a Jew. He was a Muslim. Abraham couldn't have been Jewish. He was definitely couldn't have been Christian. So he was a Muslim. 
Islam is the final revelation. They have the Old Testament, they have the New Testament, but the Quran is the final testament. Allahu Akbar. You laugh, but they believe this. They believe that everyone you read about in the Bible was actually a Muslim. And that the Christians have distorted the message to hide this fact, and the Jews have distorted it as well. So you have a replacement of the Old and New Testaments with the Quran as the true version. That's what they believe. And they believe that if you don't believe this, you're going to go to hell, so you better turn and believe in Islam. And not only that, they want to suppress and destroy Christianity. Be quite open about it. Now, Allahu Akbar doesn't actually mean God is great. It means Allah is greater. Greater than the God of the Bible. When it comes to the final conflict, this is going to be revealed as a strong delusion. Because the Lord Jesus is going to return, this time not as a Muslim, but this time in power and great glory, to judge the world in righteousness, to put down all the Antichrist forces, and set up his true messianic kingdom, ruling from Jerusalem. But in the meantime, many people are going to be deceived by the Antichrist. Now, we've got an established church, which is our defense against all this stuff, isn't it? No, it's hopeless. The Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury basically are making an alliance with Muslims, with LGBT people, because they want to keep the peace and they want to affirm them. And going back to what we were saying earlier about you see this threat coming, so you make an alliance with the people who you shouldn't make an alliance with instead of trusting in God. Uh, Welby has actually said, don't speak about your faith unless you're asked to, says the Archbishop of Canterbury. In other words, don't share your faith. Pope has said the same. He said that proselytism, he calls it, is a stupid idea. You should just be kind to people and show that you're a good Christian and love God, and that's all you should do. You shouldn't declare the message of Jesus Christ to others. So you have a church which is actually powerless and useless. Church which is on the way to division. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the Church of England split over its policy on same-sex unions and deepened with its decision on 16th of November to approve a proposal to encourage its bishops to continue their work in creating and implementing liturgical prayers for blessing of same-sex unions. The Synod additionally voted to approve an amendment that will allow clergy to go ahead and conduct standalone services of blessing on a trial basis. In other words, they're affirming homosexuality. <clears throat> In response to this, the bishop, Archbishop of Rwanda, a man called Dr. Laurent Mabanda, wrote an open letter on behalf of GAFCON, which is the alternative organization in the Church of England. He said, this means that beginning next month, Anglican clergy, in the, Anglican clergy in the Church of England churches will be able to do what the prophet Balaam could not do and would not do by going against the word of God and blessing that which God has condemned. Holy Scripture is clear and unequivocal in its affirmation that the only proper context for sexual intimacy <coughs> is the relationship of a man and a woman who've been joined together in marriage. All forms of sexual intimacy outside of this context are condemned as immorality and a behavior from which people of God are regularly called to repent. On Corinthians 6, the apostle tells, Paul tells us not to be deceived of the seriousness of such immorality, warns us that those who fail to repent of it will not inherit the kingdom of God, 
One of the behaviours he specifically names is that of homosexual activity. Elsewhere in the New Testament, he specifically warns against false teachers who promote sexual immorality within the church and instructs us not to listen to or heed their words. <clears throat> so this is serious matter. It's causing a split in the church. 50% um, of the clergy actually voted against this, but it's still being pushed through by the leadership. And it does mean that the church is divided between the churches which preach the gospel. And we see in this city, I think Ralph goes to, what is it? Um, St. Helen. Helen's Bishop's Gate. Who have, have they seceded from the Church of England now? Is it, what's, what's the situation? They don't accept London. Yeah, that's it. They use a retired bishop, an evangelical bishop of ordination. Okay, so they don't accept the authority of the Bishop of London. Basically, it means they, they are seceding in one sense from the official Church of England. And what's happening is that these churches are the evangelical churches which are full, and they're seceding from the apostate churches which are most part empty. And it means that the Church of England on this trajectory is going to die. Halfway there. So all these guys here with their whatever's there, leading the church into the abyss, really. Okay, so just one last thing. A nice little picture there. What do you think that is? That's a Russian propaganda picture. Who's that? That's an icon of Jesus. What's this? This is a bunch of soldiers with Kalashnikovs. Uh, so the Russian Orthodox Church is actually turning Jesus into a recruiting sergeant for Putin's war in Ukraine. Uh, somebody called Elena Gold writes on the Cora website, and I follow her. She featured this image of the Jesus icon behind soldiers with Kalashnikovs in between the letters Z and V, symbols of Putin's special military operation in Ukraine. She writes, the halo around Jesus is supposed to symbolize the letter O, which is used in propaganda posters, posters ZOV as a three-letter abbreviation, which means in Russian Zov, means call from away or call from on high, saying that someone is calling you from on high to join the war. In other words, this is a highly powerful statement saying that God is with us in the war and is telling the Russian people to follow the war and be blessed as they go into war against Ukraine. Sound good? Just one of the latest attempts to use the Russian Orthodox Church as a justification for Putin's war in Ukraine. Here you've got Russian Orthodox priests blessing the recruits as they go to the Ukraine war. Uh, Putin's previously said he's trying to save Russia from the West's woke values, especially the promotion of homosexuality. So if you're against the woke, then Putin is also against it. And some Christians are actually even siding with Putin because of this, which is a huge mistake. <laughs> I mean, Putin is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most evil people on the planet, uh, who's brought Russia to ruin, who's plundered and pillaged the country and left most of the country in total desolation and poverty and oppression, and is anything but a good example for Christianity. But he's trying to save the, from, from the West, from the woke values. He described this as an attempt to destroy our traditional values and force on us their false values, which lead to degradation and degeneration. 
contrary to human nature. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov spoke of the need to protect Christian values from same-sex values that are being imposed coarsely and openly. So amazingly, Russia, after 70 years of communist atheism warring against God and the church, is now trying to promote itself as carrying the torch of Christian civilization after the West plunge into ungodly materialism, secularism, and individualism. And he's using this partly as his justification for the war in Ukraine because he doesn't want that influence to spread to Ukraine and then to Russia. Um, he's encouraging this by the Orthodox patriarch, a man called Kirill, Patriarch Kirill, who supports both his anti-LGBT stand and the war in Ukraine, which he says is being fought for God and Mother Russia. He said in a sermon on the 25th of September uh, 2022 that those soldiers dying in the war are a sacrifice in the course of carrying out your military duty. This cleanses away all sins. What do you think of that? So dying in the war is going to cleanse you from your sins and you go to heaven. <coughs> now you need to know that in Russia today, all denominations of the church are suppressed apart from the Russian Orthodox Church. And the Russian Orthodox Church's leaders have made a pact with the devil, in my opinion, by supporting Putin and his corrupt regime in Ukraine and in his war against Ukraine. Uh, in fact, in many ways, Russia's gone back to a pretty similar situation to what it was in the communist time. You've got an official church and an unofficial churches which are suppressed, and evangelicals like us are suppressed. You know, back in the 1990s, after the Gorbachev time, I went to Russia and we were giving out leaflets on the street. We had a wonderful time under the statute of Lenin and in the stations and everywhere, and we had some great conversations with Russian people. Do that today and you're in trouble. It's not allowed. All changed. Now, there have been courageous Russian priests who have protested against this from the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, this guy, Yakov, this one here. He's actually in Kazakhstan, so he's probably not in line for persecution from Russia because Kazakhstan is now a separate country. But he's in the Russian Orthodox Church, and he's one of 300 clergy members who signed a letter condemning the invasion. He's now been kicked out of his position in the church. So you can see that this is one of the issues which is in front of us. Now, this whole thing gave me an opportunity to post a response on this website which is able to reach Russians and Ukrainians. I wrote, trying to recruit a fake Jesus into the war in Ukraine is the ultimate insult to God and the genuine Christians. Putin, Patriarch Kirill and their allies should read the Bible, Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13 and 17. The real Jesus prophesied wars like this one would increase in the last days of this age and the world would be dominated by antichrist dictatorships and false religious systems like the one that exists in Russia and the Russian Orthodox Church. Read about it in English, Russian, or Ukrainian on the Light for Last Days website. Ten signs of the second coming of Jesus. This is actually Ukrainian. We have got it in Russian. Yesit Prisnakov, Vitovra, Prishnatsia, Isusa Krista. And we hope that some people in Russia will actually read it. Because we can, apparently we, this website does reach Russia. So the Russian people, I have a great feeling for because they're the most oppressed people under a series of horrible governments and this is another horrible government which is oppressing them, living in tremendous poverty and oppression while their leaders live in luxury 
and they need to hear the good news of Jesus. And all of this stuff which I can see here is part of a conspiracy to destroy the authentic Jesus. All these guys, and you see it happening. What do we do about it? Well, all we can do is to stand firm for the truth of the gospel, to preach the word of God. And to believe that when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he meant it. So if you're part of the church, God wants to build you into his church, uh, your church which is based upon confession of faith that Jesus is the saviour who died for us, rose from the dead to give us eternal life, and whoever lives to make intercession for us, and he's coming back to sort out the dreadful mess which humans are making of the world. You've got conspiracies working on all levels, in Israel, in the world, in the church. False alliances being made, and God is going to make a final statement when Jesus returns, and he is going to separate those who are saved from those who are lost. So make sure you're on the right side, believe on the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and you shall be saved. Amen.